0: attention attention please the camp ojibla history podcast is on the air Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Dr. Ron Benz. Dr. Benz has been a part of camp for the last 31 years or so. And, uh, always as a camp doctor. So I sat down and had a great conversation with him this past summer about what it's like to be the camp doctor, uh, especially what it's like to be a camp doctor for that many years. We haven't had other than Dr. Sachs, we haven't had a lot of doctors that have been around for that many years at camp. So he had some interesting stories to tell and I think you're going to dig it before we get to that. I hope you checked out some of the new stuff. We posted a couple of new audio files courtesy of Steve Wolf. Steve must have just the perfect storage facility. Uh, Earlier this year, he provided some 16 millimeter film that he had from the 60s at camp. And honestly, it looks like we shot it yesterday. Incredible color, sharpness, the kind of stuff that, you know, frankly, you don't get out of a 16mm camera, let alone shooting it 50 years ago and then having it transferred. Incredible. And the audio was just as nice. So there's two different stunts as well as the 1968 Jubilee all there. You can click over on Sounds on the homepage and just check that out. Also, you can click on sites and check out a whole batch of new pictures, courtesy of Chuck Green. Chuck had some fantastic slides, uh, some of his dad, some of his family, and a lot of just camp shenanigans. So make sure you swing by the website and check all that new stuff out. Okay, enough about the website. Let's get to Why You're Here, a new podcast. Here we go. Ron Benz on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast.
1: After my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying, now I want to understand.
0: I have done all that I could to see the evil and the good. for those, say your name I and your years at Campbell Uh My
1: here. name is uh, Dr. Ron Benz. And I've been at Camp Ojibwa since 1987.
0: Very nice. Now, how did you first get connected to Camp Ojibwa? I got
1: connected to Camp Ojibwa when I was a first-year resident at Los Angeles County USC Medical Center. And one of my fellow uh, first-year residents was uh, by the name of Dr. George Sachs. Ah, and at that time, um, he had just gotten married. And as the year went on, my wife Rita and Karen and George became good friends. And as conversations uh, began, I started to hear about the word Camp Ojibwa, hmm. which initially sounded uh, very nice. But as usual, it really didn't mean anything because I had just gotten married. There were no children. And we went through our residency, left in 1975. And then, really, kind of basically went uh, our different ways. because of military commitments and uh, because we served two years in the military. And then uh, George and Karen moved to San Diego, uh, such as I did, uh, around 1975. I think they came back in 1977. And then as uh, the years went on, it turned out that uh, my in-laws lived approximately one hour from Camp Ajibwa. And in 1986 um, we were flying back uh, to see our in-laws who lived in Antigua, Wisconsin, which was just uh, about 10 miles uh, south of Anago. We happened to be on the same airplane uh, landing in Wausau, and wouldn't you know, uh, George was on the same plane, and he was (laughs) on his way to Camp Ojibwa. Wow. So, uh, also, uh, at that time, my oldest son, Michael, who was about uh, nine years old, uh, was on the plane, and George kindly invited us to come up and visit Camp Ojibwa, since it was only an hour away, and that was the last year that Al and Pearl Mm. were in charge of the camp, and shockingly, uh, according to George, uh, Pearl invited us to stay for lunch, Ah. which I guess at that time was considered to be an honor.
0: I believe that to be very rare, yes.
1: And so we... uh, We went ahead and uh, had a wonderful lunch, walked around the camp, and then that was it, and went back uh, to the in-laws, went back to San Diego. And of course, that was the time that uh, uh, Al and Pearl sold the camp, uh, and uh, where there was uh, the investors of, of which Included uh, Denny and Sandy and Elliot and George, and and had uh, you
0: met those guys on your visit when you were here or no no
1: no. And uh, so, of course, this was the time that uh, Denny uh, started to uh, go out and have to be a major recruiter, and it just so happened that he. Went to San Diego is one of the places he went for recruiting, and he had a slide presentation of the camp at George's house, and we were invited, and it was uh, done very nicely. And didn't think much about it until we got home, and my son always said, "I want to go to Juba next year." Wow which uh, took both of us by surprise. And so that really was uh, kind of the start of uh, us coming here. And uh, the first year, Mike just spent uh, four weeks, because at that time, if you were a first-time camper, you could stay four weeks rather than the allotted eight weeks, although that changed as years went on, when. Uh, they decided to have two uh, four-week camps, but mm-hmm. that was several years later. So we came out here, and uh, then Dennis kindly offered uh, to uh, see if I'd be interested in spending some time as a camp physician. So uh, I said yes, and so what happened was is that uh, George would bring the California kids the first two weeks of camp, and then I would bring them home the last two weeks of camp. Ah. And so uh, that's kind of what started it. And uh, uh, So the first time I was the camp physician obviously was the last two weeks, which was collegiate week. <laughs> and. Um, Talk about a deer being in the headlight, uh, no. headlamps. Uh, it t- you know I, I think in fairness it it takes you about four or five years to really feel comfortable. In your position, knowing how the camp works, mm. how the camp functions, how to deal with various type of things, and of course. The first mistake I made uh, when we came here was I didn't rent a car. So it was (laughs) the last two weeks of camp without a car, somewhat embarrassed (laughs) to ask Danny could I, you know, go out to dinner, uh, because I'd have to use his car. Sure. And of course, they didn't know me, and um, so uh, it obviously took a while, I think, for them to be comfortable with me, and uh, so... That was my first learning experience. And uh, I remember it because that was the team that won Collegiate Week and that year was Michigan State. And the assistant coach was David Rosen. Ah. And the head coach uh, was Jordan Shiner, who now runs uh the horseshoe uh, yes. in rhinelander so um obviously the second year i came back uh, i did rent a car which <laughs> made things a lot easier
0: well let's go back just a little bit so uh i i very rarely get to talk to someone who comes in as an adult Uh-huh. um I did. I felt like I did. So I came in as a college student who had a couple of years under my belt, and it and like you said, there's some things that um, it takes a few years to settle into that, to understand what it is, to know you need to rent a car, to know it's okay to ask Danny to use his, to feel comfortable around those things. Um, were there? Did did you come alone when you came?
1: No, uh, uh, my wife Rita was with me, so we, you know, shared. Uh, well, at that time, we, the infirmary was the place where the doctors were. I mean, now it's changed a little bit since right. uh, it's had an addition to that. No, I think there were a lot of things that transpired uh, because when they took over, they made changes. Hmm. And some of the changes were difficult to accept uh, in the tradition of Ojibwa. And... Uh, Certainly one was uh, they decided that Collegiate Week was going to be moved back to the almost end of camp. It always used to be, I want to say, two or three weeks before the end of camp. Mm -hmm. And at that time, uh, the cabin 14 was the Father's Lounge. Right. And the Father's Lounge was when the fathers would come up. Enjoy themselves uh, in the cabin, smoking their cigars, and also would be <laughs> observance of the collegiate week activities, oh. and uh, sometimes, uh, as I was told, uh, it could be very difficult for the poor uh, counselors who were the officials of the various events. Mm, absolutely. And so. They made a decision that uh, the Father's Lounge was uh, no longer available, uh, at least for that particular week. And I think there was some consternation about it, but they did make that uh, decision. They also uh, made uh, decisions with regard to the uh, food Alan Pearl and Otto used to have uh, a menu that probably maybe was a little bit rich, that uh, basically... I think that's an understatement. Uh, basically, uh, some kids liked, some kids didn't, and so they tried to make the menu more uh, camp-appreciated, uh, and uh, they changed it. And we're smart enough to send out uh, brochures or questionnaires. What would you like to have? Mm. And uh, I think that was smartly done. And uh, I will
0: say when I was hired, the one of the very first things that was said to me was, "The food is excellent." Mm-hmm. and they and Denny even said, "You don't appreciate that yet because you haven't worked at any camps, but that is a standout thing for a camp
1: right. <laughs> And so, I mean, you know, those those were some of the changes. And, and I think, in retrospect now, looking back at things, the first couple years, two, three years, was very difficult hmm. uh, because, obviously, they had the courage to take over something that was a tradition for many, many years. Uh, we are spoiled today when we have... Uh, campers that uh, are usually somewhere between 200 and 250 for each four-week period. The first year that they were, were here in charge, they had 125 campers. Mm. So it was small, and they certainly had concerns about, well, is this going to work out, uh, looking obviously at the business part of it and all that. but. Through a lot of hard work, uh, it uh, gradually, obviously, caught on, and the rest is history. But uh, uh, there's no question that uh, the first couple of years were were d- difficult. It took them a while to feel comfortable in the things that they were doing.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, but.
0: Uh, well, let me ask you. Uh, more specific to you. So we were talking about you did your first year and coming back. Uh, for the for the home listener who doesn't understand, tell me what it's like to be the camp doctor. What do you do? What's expected of you? What well, part's fun? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I think that being the camp physician, obviously, um, they have sick call four times a day, um, and. Um, It's a little bit different than being in uh, private practice. Uh, My specialty was pediatric ear, nose, and throat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that's why I think George and I got along so well, because we loved kids. Mm -hmm. But you had uh, campers of different ages coming in. And at first, when you started off, uh, you weren't sure necessarily how to handle things even if they were minor, mm-hmm. and how to kind of encourage children that their injury was not terrible sure. and you know because it is a very uh, competitive camp they play many sports they're going to get uh, little contusions of their hands and feet etc and uh, that's part of the growing process and uh, obviously being the collegiate week physician uh... probably is the most intense part of camp and it kind of took me uh, three or four years to kind of figure out how the best way to handle things and as the campers and counselors and coaches got to know me. They knew that um, I was pretty tough, <laughs> and and obviously there were campers coming in who uh, were hoping that maybe they would not need to participate mm. in their activities. I see.
0: Maybe maybe take a little nap. And and, get a little medical know, rest.
1: And they kind of knew that it better be pretty significant. Uh, or they would be told, no, I think that you can continue with the week. And the fun part was that gradually as I became more comfortable with Elliot, and Elliot became more comfortable with me, uh, he actually uh, let me come uh, to uh, the uh, forming of the... uh, teams Ah. and so you know it was like an NFL draft
0: yeah for sure and
1: so as the coaches knew who I was uh I had to give a medical report to all <laughs> the uh coaches as far as was there any serious injuries or if there was anything going on well would this put this person out of the week and all this type of that's stuff that's
0: fantastic
1: and um to me, in many ways, uh, going to the selection of the teams, to some extent, was more f- uh, fun for me than it was uh, during the week because you get the coaches in and they're all wrapped up and they have their sheets and they know exactly what players they want and all that. And then you listen to the barbs as far as if... One team happens to pick someone who they really were hoping to get, and then there were the remarks there. Or if someone picked someone else who they didn't think was as talented, you hear the remarks there. And then Elliot, in his wisdom, would always say, I'm the one that's going to give the uh, jokes no one else is. <laughs> but it was fun. The draft was just terrific. And, yeah. uh, and that's
0: a rare honor. If you're not a coach, and if you're not Elliot the list of people who have sat in that room outside of that is pretty small.
1: Well, that was kind of a ritual that Elliot and I, uh, developed. I mean, uh, he knew when I was here that I really liked to be at the draft mm. and it was just fun. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I was, I was here, uh, when, you know, it was the most intense part of the camp and, uh, uh, I really, you know, I enjoyed Collegiate Week, and then, uh, you know, uh, in the last ten years or so, I'm not doing it. Uh, although uh, uh, I may come back this year, if, uh, but uh, wow. we, we, we'll we'll see. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we
0: made a slight change in the in the way we do things. So we we George became the full time medical right. director. So we had right. always had one position here, and right. then still had our rotating cadre right. of other. Uh, practicing medical folk, as it were, of various types, of various strains.
1: I think the beauty is is that the people that rotate through here have been rotating through here a long time. And uh, many of them are former campers, Mm -hmm. so they certainly know the system. They love the system. Uh, Many times their kids uh, are present here at the time that they are... Uh, camp uh, physician and so it's it's in many ways kind of like a fraternity
0: yeah and
1: it's a fraternity that kind of puts an indelible imprint on you and once you get that imprint uh, it kind of stays there and uh, as camp has expanded that's why you have so many people come back for pre camp. I think they had the largest number this year. Mm-hmm. And ideas, these are yeah. these are people that just love Ojibwa. and uh, so that in itself, you know, says uh, says a lot. So, um, so I think that in retrospect, there. For me, obviously. Collegiate uh, week. Uh, is, is important because that was the, time, the the most time I spent here. The second thing was the more difficult thing. And that's, I uh, unfortunately was a camp physician when Paul James died. Hmm. And um, that was really, really difficult, but it also told you, the brilliance of uh, Dennis Rosen. And I remember vividly uh, sleeping in about one o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden, there is this huge banging on the door. And I literally, I mean, I jumped out of bed. I thought, what the heck is going on? And it was Dennis. And he says, please get out here. Uh, and told me it was Paul James. And by the time I got there and there were people give, trying to give him CPR and all this type of stuff, it was quite obvious that uh, he had uh, uh, passed on. Uh, I guess if there was anything that you can say positive was that uh, where he died was outside the council's Lodge, so it was away from the cabins. Mm. That is, 1 o'clock in the, uh, in the morning. Mm. And uh, that, uh, I think, was, uh, you know, thank goodness it happened there. But the brilliance of Dennis was that at 6 o'clock in the morning, he had a psychologist here so that uh, someone would be there to help if there was any uh, need for campers to speak to someone. Because uh, Paul was very, very important to the camp uh, with regard to uh, uh, Jubilee, to the plays that were done at uh, uh, camp, uh, and uh, uh, also importantly he was the person that played the piano at the end of Collegiate Week to try to drive the campers nuts as (laughs) trying to figure out who actually won Collegiate Week. And so what Dennis did was, and it was he, uh, the psychologist, and myself, and we went from cabin one all the way to each cabin to try to tell uh, the cab, uh, campers what had happened, mm. uh, if they had any questions, and um, that he would be here uh, to be of any help uh, as the day went on. And of course the questions varied depending on uh, what cabin you went into. But, you know, uh, the most uh, interesting one was from uh, the cabins in 1, 2, and 3. And obviously the logical question was, I mean, they really didn't know what, what to say. But someone said, well, who is going to play the piano at the end of Collegiate Week? Mm-hmm. How are we going to know who won the week? And um, I'll never forget that. And, uh, but uh, it was, the other, the other thing that was important was if there was a blessing. Two days after the occurrence, Collegiate Week began. And that took all a lot away because kids were so uh, involved with Collegiate Week and with the new system, kids went home two days after the end of Collegiate Week. So they didn't have time to sit and think about things and all this type of stuff. Sure. And and that really was uh, terrific. But what a lot of people don't know is, is that obviously when you have... In a fortunate instance like that, you have the uh, medical examiner come up, you have all the uh, uh, people, police people, that type of stuff come up because there has to be an investigation and all that. And and uh, there was a lot of stuff that Dennis had to do, you know, and there was things such as an autopsy mm-hmm. and make sure that there wasn't any foul play, sure, all these type of things that. You know, no one except the uh, the people uh, in the higher administration here knew about, and it took a while for everything to quiet down. But, you know, those are the those are the things that uh, I certainly vividly remember. Yeah.
0: yeah, the moment with Paul James and that. That whole sort of situation has been, you know, been talked about quite a bit. I think anyone who was here, either as staff or as campers, during that time, I mean, obviously they remember, and some, especially the kids who were older campers or uh, younger staff at the time, particularly vividly, um, just because uh, for many of them it was their first brush with death and their first dealing with any of that. Yep. And um, and it wasn't some you know horrific accident or something. It just this is where you know this is where he he passed on. That happened to be the spot, but nonetheless uh, I think you're right in the sense that Denny made it not only made sure that the campers were protected like you said with the psychologist but also in a way created a teaching moment out of that mm-hmm. and, and let uh, let the experience that they now had to deal with also inform them about their future and let them know you know this is what happens people die and this is how you deal with it and, and uh, one of those real sort of hallmark events of camp I mean in 90 years it's one of the most notable things that ever happened, for sure.
1: Well, there's only, as I understand, there's only two people that have uh, perished here in 90 years. And uh, so uh, I guess that in itself is remarkable.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, how long, you were talking about your son came to camp. Mm -hmm. Uh, How long did he come to camp?
1: You know, I think he came to camp, uh, he was 10 years old, so... He stayed through all the, you know, the years, and then he was a, a counselor here for a year, and uh, and then when it went into other things now. And my younger son was also a camper here, mm. and uh, then my uh, daughter, uh, who was uh, in between the t- two boys, uh, she went to Birchno. For, ah. for camp and uh, although before she went to Birchenau she would stay in the infirmary because mm. she would come over uh, for the two weeks and that was always interesting uh, with uh, because she was I remember very uh, she's very athletic I mean, mm. she played college soccer and all that but uh, she was good at everything and I would be out in the far field hitting. Uh, uh, fly balls to her with a hard ball not a soft ball and she's making all these incredible catches and all <laughs> all the boys are uh, you know saying wow, what the heck's going on there and of course with that uh, you know at one time uh, Elliot used to have uh, his special uh, letter at the last day of camp
0: oh sure
1: and uh, so she the birthday poem the I birthday poem was called, yes. yes and Unfortunately, uh, it uh, was discontinued because, I mean, he had a wonderful way of uh, recording every crazy thing that happened during the eight weeks of camp, and he knew how to nail everyone. And uh, so the birthday poem went away, which uh, uh, I... Felt very sorry for it, because I always thought it was great. But <laughs> as only Elliot could do it, like that's for sure. sure.
0: Absolutely. So, you've got 30 years under your belt at camp? Yep, yeah, uh, 31. 31, excellent. Uh, will we see you next year?
1: If uh, Dennis feels that I'm qualified to come back, I would be more than happy to. Perfect. Sure. Sure. Perfect.
0: Well, uh, sort of wrapping this up, there's always one thing I ask everyone, and no matter what their connection is to camp, I think that um, it's a valid question for everyone. So I just simply ask you, how do you think your time at Camp Ojibwa has affected your life?
1: Well, obviously it's affected me because I wouldn't be coming back 31 years, and when uh, our three children who are grown and are in a uh, whole different uh, part of their life. I still have this indelible imprint that says I have to come back uh, if uh, at least uh, asked to come back. Uh, you know, camp is an incredible place because you have kids coming at age eight and, and I would say the majority of them stay. Uh, till they get to cabin 14 and then I would say I'm guessing uh, eighty to ninety percent of them come back as counselors and so I mean it, it's kind of like their second home It's uh... something that uh... is imprinted on them the rest of their life uh, their contacts stay forever I know my oldest son uh... The only reason that he ended up in Northwestern was because he came to Camp Ojibwe and he kept hearing about you know Northwestern and the, all that type of mm-hmm. stuff from the campers here who were primarily from Chicago. And so he uh, came down to Northwestern and UCLA, and uh, he asked me, well, you know, if I go to UCLA. I will save you a lot of money. He says, what should I do? Well, as a father, what do you say? I, you know, So I told him that was his decision, and unfortunately he made the expensive decision. <laughs> but by going to Northwestern, also he has made uh, friends uh, internationally. Mm. And uh, so I have to thank the camp for that. No, it's something that uh, I often uh, wonder whether these kids really, really appreciate what a wonderful experience they have here. Mm. And it's an experience that uh, very few people have. And, um, but it, it is something that uh, should be cherished. I hope... Each year when they go home, that they thank their parents for this experience. Uh, Whether they do or not, I don't know. Mm. But they get a tremendous uh, experience, and Danny doesn't do it as much now. I think Joel does it, but his Friday Friday sermons Mm. before uh, we have our sit-down dinner are terrific. Uh, Dennis is, is really good uh, about that. But uh, I think my major concern and worry is what uh, happens to Ojibba going forward. Mm. Uh, we've had 90 years of uh, camp experience. We had uh, four people primarily Uh, Denny and Sandy Elliot and George who uh, took over the camp in uh, 87 and now the years are getting small for those four people and I think everyone knows that and um, my hope is that uh, the camp can Continue uh, t- to be the way it has been for the past ninety years, and this is going to require that there is the passing of the baton. And I just hope that there are the right people that are chosen to be able to continue the legend, because this, you know, Ojibwe is is a jewel. And occasionally you just need a cloth to make it shine. <laughs> but uh, that's my worry. I, w- I, w- I would be devastated uh, to hear that no longer Camp Ojibba, uh continues on. Yeah. I'm sure it will, but uh, they have to find the right people. And people who love the camp as much as they did when they had the courage to uh, buy the camp from Yale and Pearl. Mm. So that's, that's my major concern and worry, and uh,
0: uh, we'll see what happens. We will see. All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next year. All right. <laughs> Okay, that is it. Another one in the books, Dr. Benz. Obviously, we had a lot of fun together, some interesting stories. Uh, definitely hadn't heard anyone talk and give us that perspective on the Paul James story. So, very interesting stuff there. Uh, as always, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how, drop me an email, Christopher at Camp And again, make sure you swing by the website, check out the new stuff. We're going to have some more new stuff going up uh, over the next few weeks over at the website. So the summer hiatus is over. The Camp Ojibwa History Project rolls on with new stuff going up all the time. If you have not been part of the podcast and you would like to, drop me an email. Let me know. I'm going to be doing some recording around the northern suburbs in the next few weeks and i could put a few more guys on the list so if you're interested drop me an email make a case that'll be great all right it's a cloudy day but that's not going to stop me from going outside and having a cigar